Section number fourteen of A Book of Scoundrels by Charles Wibley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fox. To Haggart, who babbled on the castle rock of Willie Wallace and was only nineteen when he danced without the music. To Sims, alias Gentleman Harry, who showed at Tyburn how a hero could die. To George Barrington, the incomparably witty and adroit. To these a full meed of honour has been paid. Even the coarse and dastardy Frenny has achieved with Thackeray's aid and levers something of a reputation. But James Hardy Vox, despite his eloquent bid for fame, has not found his rhapsodist. Yet a more consistent ruffian never pleaded for mercy. From his early youth, until in 1819 he sent forth his memoirs to the world, he lived industriously upon the cross. There was no racket but he worked it with energy and address. Though he practised the more glorious crafts of pickpocket and shoplifter, he did not despise the begging letter, and he suffered his last punishment for receiving what another's courage had conveyed. His enterprise was not seldom rewarded with success and for a decade of years he continued to preserve an appearance of gentility. But it is plain, even from his own narrative, that he was scarce an artist, and we shall best understand him if we recognise that he was a Philistine among thieves. He lived in an age of pocket-picking, and skill in this branch is the true test of his time. A contemporary of Barrington, he had before him the most brilliant of examples which might properly have enforced the worth of a simple method. But though he constantly brags of his success at Drury Lane, we take not his generalities for gospel, and the one exploit whose credibility is enforced with circumstance was pitiful both in conception and performance. A meeting of freeholders at the Mermaid Tavern Hackney was the occasion, and after drawing blank upon blank, Vox succeeded at last in extracting a silver snuff-box. Now his clumsiness had suggested the use of the scissors, and the victim not only discovered the scission in his coat, but caught the thief with the implements of his art upon him. By a miracle of impudence, Fox escaped conviction, but he deserved the gallows for his want of principle, and not even sympathy could have let drop a tear had justice seized her due. On the straight or on the cross, the canons of art deserve respect, and a thief is great not because he is a thief, but because in filling his own pocket he preserves from violence the legitimate traditions of his craft. But it was in conflict with the jewellers that Vox best proved his mettle. It was his wont to clothe himself in the most elegant attire, and on the pretence of purchase to rifle the shops of Piccadilly. For this offence, pinching the cant dictionary calls it, he did his longest stretch of time, and here his admirable qualities of cunning and coolness found their most generous scope. A love of fine clothes he shared with all the best of his kind, and he visited Mr. Bilger, the jeweller who arrested him, magnificently arrayed. He wore a black coat and waistcoat, blue pantaloons, hessian boots, and a hat in the extreme of the newest fashion. He was also resplendent with gold watch and eyeglass. His hair was powdered, and a fawny sparkled on his dexter femme. The booty was enormous, and a week later he revisited the shop on another errand. 
this second visit was the one flash of genius in a somewhat drab career. The jeweller was so completely dumbfounded that Vox might have got clean away, but though he kept discreetly out of sight for a while, at last he drifted back to his ancient boozing-ken, and was there betrayed to a notorious thief-catcher. The inevitable sentence of death followed. It was commuted after the fashion of the time, and Vox, having sojourned a while at the hulks, sought for a second time the genial airs of Botany Bay. His vanity and his laziness were alike invincible. He believed himself a miracle of learning as well as a perfect thief, and physical toil was the sole lay for which he professed no capacity. For a while he corrected the press for a printer, and he roundly asserts that his knowledge of literature and of foreign tongues rendered him invaluable. It was vanity again that induced him to assert his innocence, when he was lagged for so vulgar a crime as stealing a wipe from a tradesman in Chancery Lane. At the moment of arrest he was on his way to purchase base coin from a Whitechapel bitfaker, but despite his nefarious errand he is righteously wrathful at what he asserts was an unjust conviction, and henceforth he assumed the crown of martyrdom. His first and last ambition during the intervals of freedom was gentility, and so long as he was not at work he lived the life of a respectable grocer. Although the casual Cyprian flits across his page, he pursued the one flame of his life for the good motive, and he affects to be a very model of domesticity. The sentiment of piety also was strong upon him, and if he did not, like the illustrious Peace, pray for his jailer, he rivalled the prison ordinary in comforting the condemned. Had it only been his fate to die on the gallows, how unctuous had been his croak! The text of his memoirs having been edited, it is scarce possible to define his literary talent. The book as it stands is an excellent piece of narrative, but it loses somewhat by the pretense of style. The man's invulnerable conceit prevented an absolute frankness, and there is little enough hilarity to correct the acid sentiment and the intolerable vows of repentance. Again, though he knows his subject and can pat a flash with the best, his incorrigible respectability leads him to ape the manner of a Grub Street hack, and to banish to a vocabulary those pearls of slang which might have added vigour and lustre to his somewhat tiresome page. However, the thief cannot escape his inevitable defects. The vanity, the weakness, the sentimentality of those who are born beasts of prey, yet have the faculty of depredation only half developed, are the foes of truth and it is well to remember that the autobiography of a rascal is tainted at its source. A congenial pickpocket, equipped with the self-knowledge and the candour which would enable him to recognise himself an outlaw, and justice his enemy rather than an instrument of malice, would prove a Napoleon rather than a Vox, so that we must e'en accept our Newgate calendar with its many faults upon its head and be content. For it takes a man of genius to write a book, and the thief who turns author commonly inhabits a paradise of the second rate. End of section 14